If you have God's word, and I trust that you brought something with you, maybe the modern instrument Bible uh, on your iPhone, or, or maybe you have an iPad, or maybe you brought the old-fashioned Bible. And I invite you to turn to uh, Matthew in just a little bit. We're getting, going to just read a verse there in Matthew uh, chapter 6. We'll be there around chapter 6. And, uh, and then later on, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'll not read through any of that. We're just going to kind of reference, you know, that, that part of the word today. Um, I, I want to begin this morning by, by sharing with you that, um, uh, as probably most of you know already, that I've been a flatlander for the last 10 years. Heidi and I have lived in Florida for 10 years before we came to San Diego, California. And, and you know, Florida's flat. How many have been to Florida? Raise your hand. I wonder if some of us, probably, uh, what, 80% of us may have been to Florida. Florida is flat. In fact, the highest place, the highest elevation in Florida is 345 feet. And that's up in the panhandle, not in the main part of the state. So that's pretty flat, okay? I mean, you imagine a tsunami hit that, that state. I mean, it would just go underwater. So we, we were there in the flatland for 10 years. And, you know, we hiked and we, you know, walked through, you know, these flat paths. And I mean, we didn't get much exposure to any kind of hill or any kind of climate or anything like that. And I really miss that because I'm a mountain guy. I mean, I love the mountains. I, I grew up mainly in Oregon and Idaho. And uh, my family and I, and we spent lots of times in the mountains. My dad had a gold mine at one point. I mentioned that to you. And so we just uh, we just spend time with the mountains. Some people love the ocean. They love looking at the ocean, being near the ocean. I mean, that's awesome. But I love the mountains. I almost love the mountains as much as I love breakfast, okay? I love breakfast. But anyhow, uh, but part of it is the, the fact that, you know, um, you know, I, I didn't have much opportunity to, to really get in shape in, in regards to climbing mountains. Uh, so you can imagine how happy I was when my wife and I were, were moving to San Diego, California, and we were stopping to see relatives there in the Boise, Nampa, Idaho. In fact, we probably have, I have probably a hundred relatives there, cousins and aunts and uncles and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I was excited about pausing, stopping there, taking some rest on our journey here to San Diego as, as we literally had already set our furniture ahead of us and we were driving in our pickup pulling in our car and so we're spending time with the family and and thrilled when my cousin cousin Nathan uh, he's my my best friend cousin you know what I mean by that he's kind of my best friend cousin went to high school together I mean we're buddies still buddies uh, and I knew that I was going to get to see him and so uh, we visited Nathan and he said hey Tony uh, how long are you going to be here tomorrow I'm going up to the mountains you want to go with me I look at Heidi, we kind of make a deal. I think she went shopping or something like that. And I got to go to the mountains, my, my cousin Nathan. Nathan and I are the same age. We're both 56. We're about a month apart. He's never been married because basically Nathan, he, he's a mountain man. Um, he, he, I mean, if you think about a mountain man, you know, you're talking about hair, flannel shirt with holes in it, you know, dungarees. I mean, this kid, he's a mountain man. You know, par none, and, and he, he really knows how to climb a mountain. He's like a billy goat. And so I go with him. Now, remember, I've been in Florida for 10 years. And so I haven't really, you know, gotten in shape in any way except round. That's about the only shape I was in. But anyhow, and so we, we go to the mountain. We get up before the sun comes up. And we get up there where he, he, he's planning for us to, you know, go on a hike and look for big game and all that. And we start up this mountain. Now, if one thing will take your passion for the mountains away, it's climbing a 
peak, 10,000 foot peak by noontime. That's what we did. And I tell you what, I mean, uh, Nathan, he doesn't follow a path, you know, the manicured path by the National Forest, a footpath that you can follow and hike back. No, he, he goes up through the brush and the shrubs and the rock. And I mean, you're climbing like on all fours like this. I was so out of shape, guys, that it felt like I was breathing through a wet washcloth. I mean, I'd take a few steps, you know, going up this mountain, a few steps, and then I have to breathe, and then my heart would hurt. I thought, well, I probably should rest a little bit, and I'd rest a little bit and take about 10 more steps. I mean, I was out of shape. And by the time we got to the top of the mountain, the 10,000-foot peak, man, folks, I'm telling you, I, I, I was fatigued. And we got at the top and began to hike some of the ridges, and then we hiked back down to the truck. And so we left at probably 4 a.m. in the morning, didn't get back until after dark. Folks, I was killed. I mean, I was so out of shape. I was so fatigued. I was just completely worn out. You know, I think sometimes that happens in our spiritual life. That we climb mountain after mountain and we deal with one issue after another issue. And we get to a point where we're absolutely fatigued. We're absolutely at the very end of ourselves. And we're so poured out. We're so we're so drained, so to speak, that we wonder if we can take even another step. I don't know about you, but I, I've been there before. And, and maybe it's possible that right now in your life, you're there yourself, that you're just kind of completely exhausted. And, and so I, I believe that the Lord is going to speak to us in the next few weeks in regards to the danger of living a spiritually bankrupt life. In fact, there are seven conditions I want to mention over the next few weeks in regards to being spiritually bankrupt and conditions that threaten uh, to steal away our spiritual passion. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I love the Lord, and that's why, you know, I'm here this morning while I'm a pastor. It's probably the reason that you've come to church today is because you love Jesus. Amen? You love Jesus, and there's this spiritual passion that you've experienced in the past, and you want to make sure that you're nurturing that passion in life. And so there are some conditions that we need to be aware of and be cautious of because they threaten to steal away our spiritual passion, and, and especially when the fatigue of life sets in. I've learned something about fatigue. In fact, as I was thinking about the series, I, I thought to myself, how could we relate to this and I thought about runners. I mean, I'm not a runner. I've never been a runner. I've jogged some. You know, I get in kind of in a moment where I feel like, oh, I need to run and get in shape. And, and it just doesn't last. I'm not a runner. But there's some people here in the congregation, you're, you're runners. And runners know something about fatigue. In fact, what I learned in my, my study and my, my thinking about runners and kind of doing a little research is that serious runners study fatigue. Did you know that? Serious runners study fatigue and they they want to learn something about fatigue because, you know, they, they have to plan for it. They have to plan for when they're going to experience fatigue in the distance and, and when it's going to be harder, or it's going to be easier. And they have to kind of make sure that there's rest that is happening in their life as they're getting ready, you know, to face the challenge, so to speak, of whatever it is that they're they're running, whatever the course is. I, I read about those who compete in the Boston Marathon. And that they are well acquainted with a part of the, the marathon. And the marathon, by the way, I learned this, a marathon's 26 miles. How many knew that already? A marathon is 26 miles. And for those that run the Boston Marathon, they are aware of what they call Heartbreak Hill, which is a slow, long, torturous climb through the streets of Newton, Massachusetts, about two-thirds of the way through of the 26-mile race. 
So you imagine they are running 17 miles before they get to Heartbreak Hill. They're methodically going through those 17 miles and then, then they hit the hill. And you see, the smart runners plan for Heartbreak Hill. And of course, there's some emotions and, and their mind kind of plays tricks on them, but they're striding through the first 17 miles with the hill in mind, keeping emotional, mental, and physical reserve for the challenge that is before them. You see, runners teach us something of, about spiritual passion. Because they, they teach us something about looking ahead. They, they teach us something about, you know, planning for those places and those spots in life that have potential fatigue. You know, things in life that absolutely zap our spiritual zest, our spiritual passion for Christ. And we have to be able to, you know, navigate those experiences so that we are not totally, you know, poured out and, and just blown so that we, we might have the rest that is necessary to to, to make it up the next hill, so to speak, as God calls us, or to respond to the challenge of ministry. I, I love Mark chapter 6, looking at verse 31, because the scenario kind of unfolds this dynamic in the lives of the disciples. In fact, the disciples had been out doing ministry two by two. They were on a mission of doing ministry two by two, and it's interesting to note that, that they, they had been a witness. They individually and personally had witnessed the power of God at work. They had witnessed miracle after miracle, they were doing God's work and they were seeing God's power and glory working through them. And so it's interesting when we read their response. First, Jesus gives them direction of what they need to do, which I want to start there and then I'll go to the response. So let's look at Mark chapter six, verse 31. Mark chapter six, verse 31. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. Now, listen to that. Come away to a desolate place and rest a while because he knew that they were so busy. The rest of the verse says they're so busy. I mean, the, the crowd was pushing in. There was so much ministry happening that they did not even have time in their schedule to eat. And so Jesus says, take some time and find some rest and in a quiet place, and and that's important. I praise the Lord, and I thank God for the wisdom of our board. Our church board met a few weeks ago when we did this pastoral review thing, and they 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 extended a call to Heidi and I to be here for another four years. And in that part of the agreement is they, uh, I mean, I had nothing to do with it. They just wanted to do it, and what they decided is to send Heidi and I away for two nights and two days to a lodge and just rest. And so at the end of this coming week, um, Heidi and I were going to a lodge and, and we have no responsibilities. We're not doing anything at all. We're just going to go rest for two days. And, and I just want to commend the board for that wisdom because rest is important. And we see this in this passage here that, that, that Jesus says, go away, go someplace desolate and rest. And, of course, the crowds follow and the throng is still pushing in. And Jesus is doing ministry and he does ministry for, for this entire day. And then the day is ending and, and the sun is beginning to set. And what Jesus, he, he does is he, he intends to feed the 5,000. You remember that story. You've read that before. So Jesus intends to feed the 5,000. And what's interesting is how the disciples respond when he says, let's feed the 5,000. Now, now, listen to this. Let's feed the 5,000. This is Jesus. It's interesting, their response. And I don't think it's an indictment on their lack of faith, and I think I've even preached it that way, but I really now thinking about it with new eyes, I don't think it's an indictment on their lack of faith. I think it maybe had something to do with their fatigue. Because what they say, what they respond, how, how they answer Jesus is say, well, let's just send them away. 
You remember that. Jesus, the disciples say, let's just send them away. Which is maybe more of a testimony of, of the fact that they've been with people. They just came home from this mission and they've been worn out. And maybe it's possible, is it possible they were just too tired to care? I wonder if you've ever been there. I wonder if you've been just so tired and so weary and so poured out that you're just too tired to care. Folks, i embarrassed to say, I probably shouldn't be, but I've been there. Holly, I've been there. Where I'm realizing I'm just so tired that I'm not caring the way that I should be caring I'm not passionate about the things that I should be passionate about. And it's because I I understand that that I've come to this place, almost to this end of myself, where fatigue has set in. In fact, Jesus shows us. He he gets away. He withdraws and he prays. And we see this again and again. And I, I love this. It's almost laughable because God makes such a big point out of it. Because what happens, God creates for six days. And then what does he do the seventh? God rests. He rests on the seventh day. I mean, giving us the very example of the importance of that. Gordon MacDonald, who's been chairman of the World Relief and editor for Leadership Magazine, he writes it this way. Listen to this statement. I think we have it in our bulletin. Yesterday's spiritual passion cannot be today's inner energy. Yesterday's spiritual passion cannot be today's inner energy. Why? Because... Passion quickly fades. Passion quickly dissipates. And it's something that needs to be restored. And, and it's like in the desert when, when God was providing manna for the Israelites and, you, and they had to take care of it or it would spoil. You see, in passion's the same way and there's this, this threat that it might spoil. And so, folks, what I'm saying about spiritual passion is that there are conditions that we need to look out for, conditions that we need to care about in regards to our spiritual life so that we don't experience a spiritual bankruptcy, so to speak, because we're not aware of these conditions. And in my theme, I'm going to be addressing really actually seven different conditions over the next five or six weeks, seven different conditions that can threaten our spiritual passion that we have for Jesus Christ. And in fact, the first one of the most obvious passion-threatening conditions that I want to mention today is the drained condition. Say that with me, the drained condition. I mean, that's a real, that, that's a real concern because I've been drained before. And I know that you've probably felt that you've poured yourself out and you're just, you're just at the, the limit of yourself and you just, you're just kind of drained. I'd be remiss if I didn't even refer to Elijah, and that's where First Kings chapter 19 comes in. I, I think of Elijah, never do we read a story of a person that was flying so high, but fell and sunk so fast and so low as Elijah. I mean, remember, this is the guy that, that challenges the prophets of Baal to a duel on the mountain. And it was just a few months ago that some of us from the church were on a trip to the Holy Land and we're standing on top of the mountain there where the duel took place and we're remembering the story. I mean, this is the guy that shatters the pagan movement like a, a crystal pitcher thrown against a concrete wall. This is the guy that rebuilds the forgotten altar of the Lord. He is the one that fights for the for God's people against the nation of a pagan idolatry. I mean, this is the guy, Elijah, that calls down the very fire of God upon that mountain. He was a man that knew what victory was all about. Spiritual passion was all about. He was passionate and God responded. But yet in a very short time later, he falls so low and emotionally low that he literally wants to die. I mean, talk about an emotional hangover. 
if I can use that term. Talking about an emotional hangover. I mean, if anybody experienced it, it would have been Elijah here. I mean, thinking about what's going on in his emotional state. And I propose that maybe possibly it was not that unusual for him to experience this because he was human, by the way. After all, yes, God was working through him and there's the power of God working in him there on the mountain. But now afterwards, when he receives the threat of his life by Jezebel and Jezebel says, I want you to die. I'm going to make sure that you die. So he had this threat against his life. And you think, well, man, he could overcome that. But yet in his humanness, in his humanity, he, he goes to the desert and we read in First Kings 19 what happens is he, he wants to die. The fact is, people and emotions go hand in hand. I mean, whenever you work with people, you know, and of course Elijah had been working with, you know, people and fighting the, 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 the pagan, you know, prophets of Baal at that time. And you can imagine the emotion and the energies that were involved and how tedious and how fatiguing it had to be. I mean, if you don't believe that, that people and emotions go hand in hand, just talk to some of your fellow friends here in the congregation that work with people or deal with conflict or there are people that are in customer service or people that are in sales and they have the pressure to make the sell and, and all of this because, you know, being with people, it, it, it's fatiguing. It, it's fatiguing, it is. And, and it, it can be, be, be hard. Someone once said that when preachers preach, it's like, it's like working an eight-hour day. And I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, I, I love preaching, and, and there's a lot of energy. And I, I study Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, mainly Monday and Wednesday. And I have an outline done by Wednesday. And then there's this saturation, memorization process that happens. And that begins on Thursday and part of the time on Friday. On my day off, just a little bit, I glance and I remind myself what I've been studying. And then on Saturday, then I begin to delve into it again. And on Sunday, before the sun is up, at least two or three hours before we get here, on Sunday, I'm back into the word and back into the ministry and the message that God has given me. And yes, there's tremendous energy. And then on Sunday, as we preach it twice, then I am definitely poured out and I'm, I'm weary by Sunday afternoon. But man, it renews my strength and my passion because I love doing what I do. But for Elijah here, we go to First Kings chapter 19 and we read there that he's sitting under the broom tree and he says it this way. Listen to this. He says it this way. It is enough now. Oh, Lord, take away my life. And so he's so drained out. He's so he's so worn out that he's saying, I, I, I want to die. I wonder if you've ever been there. I mean, it's very possible that in a congregation like this and all of our services and ministry, there's people that have either felt that way sometime in the past or maybe feeling that way now or will in the future. Man, I, I, I want to die. Elijah had given everything on the mountain. It seemed that the threat he faced was, was not much. I mean, this threat against his life. But, but obviously for Elijah, he had reached his limit. He had reached his limit. And I'm wondering if that is maybe where you're at. I mean, I... I cannot measure your spiritual passion, your, your spiritual passion for Christ. I have no way to measure that. And, and maybe, maybe you know, though, that the Lord is speaking to you and there's something about this spiritual passion that God is trying to point out. And maybe, maybe you've reached the limit of that relationship or maybe the energies that you once had before you no longer have and you realize that. And maybe your spiritual passion is just a memory and you know deep down that God is waiting on you to be hungry for him again. And he's waiting on you. 
I'm considering a new technique in assessing our Sundays with the staff by talking about what kind of Sunday did you have? Was it a one-truck Sunday or a two-truck Sunday? How many ever heard the phrase, I feel like I just was ran over with a truck, okay? You ever heard that phrase before? Man, I've just been hit with a truck. You see, the drain condition is like that. It's like that we've been run over with a truck. And life has thrown so much at us that we're empty. And we're just vague inside. Someone shared with me just this morning the fact that they had been involved with ministry, lots of ministry, lots of ministry in their past experience. And yet they were so involved in ministry, doing so many ministries, but yet they were empty on the inside. Something was missing. And, you know, as a church and as individuals, this renewal of our spiritual passion for Jesus, it matters. Amen? It, it matters. Do you believe that? It, it matters. And, and so the drain condition may make us, you know, feel like we've been run over with a truck. <laughs> and the dangers or the symptoms of this condition may manifest itself in, in surprising ways. In ways that you say, well, how is that connected to that? I mean, how is the Because there's this something that's happening on the inside of you, something that is processing that is a symptom of this fact that you're absolutely drained out, you're absolutely worn out, you haven't made it to the top of the mountain, and you're climbing like a billy goat trying to say, Lord, I need your help here. And some of the, the symptoms that you might see is, is when we try to mask the way we feel by getting involved in other things or things that make us feel better. And I know I'm meddling now that maybe, maybe like shopping or spending money and we just keep spending money and we keep shopping and we keep doing something that's a symptom of something that's going on, you know, on the inside. Or, or as I heard somebody say recently, you know, we, we get involved and are active in doing the good that we forsake the best. Because we're doing all these good things in life, you know, all this good stuff. We justify because we're doing all this good stuff and we're missing out on the best stuff, which is our passion for Jesus Christ. Which is our family and spending time with our family and making that right and loving our family. And so we get involved in all the good things that we miss out on the best things. The person I heard say that, they said it better than, than I'm saying it. But man, it's true. Maybe the symptom for men may be they're drawn to sensual entertainment because they're just burnt out. They're worn out and they're empty inside or they're trying to find something that gives them meaning. And so they're drawn to sensual entertainment and there's this addiction that's happening in their life. And they're wrestling with this addiction and thinking that's the problem. But there's a symptom of something deeper on the inside that needs to be addressed. And folks, that's that spiritual passion and a spiritual renewal in Jesus Christ. Or maybe the symptom is an anger or a deep resentment. And we don't even understand why we're feeling this resentment. And there's this cauldron of something that's happening on the inside. and, And you have this resentment that you're carrying around. And you don't know why. Because you're spiritually drained out. And maybe as we're spiritually drained out, that the only answer for us is to come back to the well And allow the Holy Spirit to come in us and and wash us and make us clean and fill us up with His holy presence that Christ might be lifted and glorified in our life as we experience a renewal of spiritual passion for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I don't know what it is the symptoms are in your life and what you're wrestling with, but I know this, that God wants to give you spiritual renewal this morning. 
He wants to give you that, that spiritual passion for Christ like you once had in your life. And he, he wants to give it to you today and pour his spirit out on you today. And he wants to make it work today and make it complete today. That's what God wants to do. Amen. I believe that. And, and in fact, we're going to take communion here in just a moment. In fact, I, I want to invite the servers to come and get in place. And we're going to take communion, but it, it, it's, it, it's more than just... Well, it's never less, but what I'm saying this morning, I believe that this is an opportunity for us to really come before the Lord in in this table today and say, Father, I need you to renew my spiritual passion. Lord, I've been in a drained out condition. I've come to the very limit of myself and I'm poured out and I need you, Jesus, to fill me up. I need you, Jesus, to give me that passion that I once had in Christ again. And God will do that for you. He will renew your passion this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to renew your passion? I want to invite you to allow him to renew your spiritual passion this morning as we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. And as we do, you're coming and you're remembering why Jesus Christ came to earth why God became flesh and why Jesus then allowed himself to be crucified upon the cross. You're remembering that. You're remembering his broken body and you're remembering his shed blood. You're remembering that he he did that because he was passionately committed to you. I want to invite you to say, Jesus, renew my passion. Renew my strength. Lord, I'm drained out. I'm empty. I need you to fill me up. Let's take communion in that spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and renew us as we look at dealing with the threat of a bankrupt spiritual life. God wants to renew you. He wants to give you passion. And I want to invite you to do that.